You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. So we've made it through Malachi chapter 1. It's been convicting and, and hopefully it's, it's, been, it's been good for you guys as well. And we're going to be going into chapter 2 now. And um, if you'll remember Malachi last week, uh, he was speaking the word of the Lord. He just finished proclaiming to the priests of the Holy Temple. He just finished telling them about God's disgust in their disheartened worship. And also his disgust in their complicity in the nation of Israel's lackadaisical and worthless worship to God. And he's going to continue and build off that subject in chapter 2 as he declares to the priests another rebuke or oracle of God in the same vein, which is their disobedience and outright failure in leading God's people to know and honor his name. So if you want to turn with me to Malachi 2, Verses 1 to 9, we're going to be going through that this morning. And I have to drink tea because I lost my voice from worship night last night. So it was awesome. Malachi 2, 1 to 9. It says, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we could come here this morning, Lord, and, and I thank you just as we reflect on, on the cross and, and of you sending your Son to, to be the forgiveness of our sins, Lord God, to, to make us righteous. We, we remember that you were a God of covenant, Lord. That you, are, that you are a God of relationship and that you desire relationship with us, Lord God. And so just as, as I pray, as we go through Malachi this morning, a, a difficult word, Lord God, that you would just open our hearts to receive it and understand it, and that you would write it on our hearts and in our minds, Lord God, and, and that we would grow closer to you and become more and more who you've called us to be as a church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So, lately when my, my oldest son, Liam, doesn't like the supper that we make him or, or, or something, he always, he always tells us by first saying, um, you know, I don't want to be rude, right? So, so like, I don't want to be rude, but this tastes gross, right? 
Or he actually says that we're like, I don't want to be rude, but this tastes gross, right? Like he's just, kind of, you know. So he's actually being rude, but he thinks he's, he's negating his rudeness by telling us beforehand that, it's, that, he, that that's not his intention to be rude, uh, even though that's how it ends up. But, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he does that now, that, that he says that I don't want to be rude first. Uh, because when he was younger, I think probably when he was about three or something, I remember him saying to, to Audrey, my wife, his mom, that, that a particular meal she made was, was gross or, or yucky. Or, or, he make, or sometimes he just makes this choking sound when, he, when we force him to put a bite in his mouth. He's just like... <coughs> One Thanksgiving dinner, he did that the whole time. That was awesome. Um, and I remember getting upset at that in that moment and, and explaining to him that when he says stuff like that to his mom, that he's, that he's being rude and disrespectful and hurtful to her. And his reaction was kind of unexpected. He, he just looked up at me with like tears in his eyes and, and of, of horror and surprise. And, 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 and he said, he genuinely said, I, did, I didn't know that was rude. I didn't know that was bad. And I probably answered with some snarky statement like, well, how could you not know that, right? <laughs> Obviously, that's rude. So say sorry to your mom, right? But, but now, after thinking about it some more, how could I expect a three-year-old to act appropriately and honor his parents if he's actually never been taught how to behave in that particular situation, right? He probably honestly didn't know any better. So now he does, which is why he says, I don't want to be rude, before he's rude. So he's still learning, obviously. But since we hadn't taught him that lesson before that, of course he would just say or do whatever came to his mind without hesitation, right? Of course he's not going to honor us appropriately because he doesn't know how. And this is the problem, but on a way bigger scale with the nation of Israel in the passage this morning. As we've discovered over the last couple, couple of weeks, going through the first chapter of Malachi, the nation of Israel had grown weary, and they've grown tired of following God, uh, and they've turned away from God in many aspects. And this is for many reasons, but one of the most significant reasons is that they were no longer being properly taught the Word of God, or even being taught about it at all. Because the priests who were chosen by God to teach the nation of Israel God's law and bring forth His Word... And constantly remind them of God and point them to God. They weren't doing it. They weren't doing what they were called to do. So of course, without the, without the knowledge of what's right or about who God is and what God has done for them, the Israelites over time will forget and eventually turn from God. And that doesn't make the Israelites all completely innocent, right? But it definitely places much of the blame of the spiritual laziness on, of Israel on the priests and, and their failure to honor God. The priests were supposed to ensure that the opposite would occur, right? That, that God's name would be feared, that God's name would be honored. And the way that they were supposed to do that, first of all, was by living rightly in their own lives and through reverently accomplishing their duties as priests in the temple. And secondly, they were to honor God by teaching and instructing God's people in God's word and in God's statutes. As Malachi reminds them in the passage, this is the covenant promise God made with Levi, the son of Jacob, when he chose him and called his family line to be the priests of his holy temple. Malachi 2, 5 to 7, he says, My covenant with Levi was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. 
True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So God gave to Levi the, the blessings of life and peace. As uh, the, the psalmist Marina was read, those who trust in God are blessed, right? Um, so Levi got the blessings of life and peace as he trusted in God because he feared God. It was a covenant of fear and he feared God. He stood in awe of God's, God's name, right? And, and, he, and he feared God by honoring him, by having reverence for him, by being obedient to him through correctly teaching and living out the word of God. Again, that's the calling of the priest, to honor God through instructing others about him and living it out themselves, right? To preach the word, but to also practice what they preach for the glory of God. They, they were the mediators between man and God. And so it was an important calling. It was a significant calling. Because they were the only mediators available between man, between sinful man and a holy God. Especially the high priest, the calling of the high priest, who would once a year be permitted by God after being purified through making a sacrifice for his own sins. He'd be permitted by God to enter into God's presence by walking through the veil within, within the temple. He'd walk through this veil into a room called the Holy of Holies, which is the place where God would dwell just so he could be among his people. That's where he would dwell. Because a holy God can't be among sinful men without casting judgment. And so that's where he would dwell. And then once the priest was inside, he would offer burnt offerings and sacrifice on behalf of Israel in order to make an annual atonement for their sin. So the high priest and the priests, they held an important role that, that, if, that if taken away, or if it wasn't accomplished properly, would prevent God's people from being able to learn about God, would prevent them from being able to repent to God properly, to, would disable them from being able to give offerings and to, to worship God. But the problem being addressed by Malachi in the passage to the descendants of Levi, to the priests of Levi, is that they had failed in this regard and they failed horribly. They forgot the covenant he'd made with Levi. They weren't, they weren't listening to God. They weren't following God. They weren't teaching his word correctly. Probably because they weren't listening to him in the first place. And whatever they were teaching, they were teaching with partiality. Which could mean that they were only teaching certain people that they liked. Or that they were only te- teaching the parts of scriptures that were easy to teach. Or maybe even twisting them to their liking. And most of all, they weren't even honoring God with the way they lived their own lives or the way that they worked in the temple. And of course, the result of this false teaching and, and their poor examples is obviously going to be a nation that wanders and strays from God. So clearly, God's not impressed. right? God's not impressed. And this is the consequence for it. Malachi 2, 1-2 And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. 
Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. So again, the priests were specifically called to represent God's name, right? To be his ambassadors. But pretty much everything they did was the opposite or contradictory to who God is or what his law calls for. So because of their words and actions, they were actually giving God a bad name. They were misrepresenting God. They were dishonoring his name. And giving God a bad name is a blatant disregard for the third commandment, which says from Exodus 20, verse 7, God says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And no, they weren't using God's name as a cuss word, which is how we often translate that, which doesn't make any sense. Um, think, think of this. He's on Mount Sinai, and, and you know, the, there's a Sinai glory cloud, and he's with Moses and all that. And, and then he's like, yeah, um, thou shalt not have any gods before me, and oh yeah, don't swear, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But yet we always translate the third commandment as like, don't, don't say OMG, um, which you probably shouldn't anyways, but that's not what this means. It, as priests, they were called to represent God, to be his image, and to proclaim his name. But everything they were doing was the opposite. So they, they were acting in God's name. They were acting on behalf of God, but they weren't acting like God. They were misrepresenting his name. They were taking his name in vain. And so God's just informing them through Malachi that they were guilty of this, and the consequent for it is to be cursed and for their blessing to be cursed. And let's make it clear, though, that, that a curse in the Old Testament usually meant being separated from covenant with God. That's what a curse means in the Old Testament, being separated with, in covenant with God or, and being kicked out of somewhere sometimes as a result of sin, like uh, Adam and Eve being sent out of the garden because of their sin and being separated from God, or Jesus taking our curse for us at the cross and thus being separated from God at the cross. So that's what being cursed means. Or you can look at it this way. You know, an example of it might be like, like a doctor, say, who decides to start, start using the drugs that she's administrating, which isn't good, right? So once found out, she would lose her license to practice medicine and would then be removed from her station for malpractice, right? And so it's the same thing that's happening. So being cursed isn't some Harry Potter magic mumbo-jumbo. It meant being separated from God and separated from the blessing of God. That's why God says, I'll curse you and, and curse your blessing. So God tells the priests, the descendants of Levi, or commands them rather, that due to their sin against him, they've rendered themselves unqualified for duty and were no longer able or allowed to practice as priests anymore. So in dishonoring their station, they dishonored God's name and they dishonored themselves. But God also said he'd rebuke their descendants as well, which meant that the whole generational line of Levi would no longer be qualified to be priests in God's temple from that point on. God emphasizes this fact when he says to them in, in verse 3 and verses 8 to 9, he says, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. 
God will spread dung on their faces. Obviously, God's not happy with them here. Let me ask, has anyone ever changed a diaper? You do not want that spread all over your face. You don't even want to be like a foot, three feet, ten feet from that. But I don't think God actually means he'll literally spread dung on their faces. This is probably a metaphor that parallels with their priestly duty as priests to to, to remove the feces and unclean parts of the offered animal sacrifices. And they would remove them and they would take them outside the temple to be burnt and destroyed, ensuring that the burnt offerings to God weren't impure or weren't unclean. So God's saying here that in the same way, these unclean priests are basically like the dung that gets removed from the temple. So God's saying, just like that dung, they'll be taken out. They'll be removed from the temple where they'll be destroyed and not burned up per se, not yet anyways, but destroyed in reputation, publicly despised, publicly shamed in front of all the people. All this, all this because they didn't listen to God, because they didn't teach God's word correctly, because they didn't honor God in their own lives and priestly roles, and because they instructed and taught with partiality, because they didn't honor God. So we've seen how the priests have sinned against God. We've seen God's reaction. We've seen ultimately his judgment on them. And so from here, I want to make three simple, but I think incredibly significant points about how this message can apply to us today. Um, And number one, the first point is that we are the new priests. We are the new priests. Well, First Peter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So since God had removed the priests of Levi from the temple, from their sacred position, It created a vacancy, right? It created a vacancy. Someone needed to fill the role of the priests of teaching and proclaiming his name to those outside the temple. And guess what? That vacancy is filled by us. It's filled by followers of Jesus. In other words, we've all been called in Christ as temples of the Holy Spirit set apart by God to carry on the office of priests. So not just the pastors, All of us carrying on the office of priests. That means we're all called to proclaim the excellencies of the Lord with our lives and with our mouths. Jesus confirmed as much when he gave us the great commission, right? To go and make disciples of all nations and teach them about Jesus. So for all priests, if we're a royal priesthood, if that's our role, then as we look at the passage this morning and and we see how seriously God takes the office of priesthood, I think we'd be amiss if we didn't take this moment to examine ourselves and examine our lives and ask, are we living as priests in the kingdom? Are we living as priests for God's kingdom? Are we listening to God? Are we growing in his word? Are we living out that word? Are we displaying Christ's likeness to the world? 
Are we teaching others correctly about Jesus? And are we serving and loving the world without partiality? Or we can ask, does this next passage describe our lives? 2 Corinthians 2, 14-17 says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So as we examine our own lives, do we, do we look like God's priesthood? Or do we look like the priests of Levi? Are we honoring God's name? Or are we taking it in vain? Are we the aroma of Christ to God in this world? Or do we smell like them? Unfortunately, if we, if we do smell, if we haven't been living according to the way that we've been called, we can be washed clean and restored through the blood of Christ when we repent. And the amazing part about this calling, this calling of the priesthood, is that when we turn to Christ and we live for him and we, and we acknowledge him and we're obedient to him, he always leads us in triumphal procession. So when we're following him and we're listening to his will, we can't fail because Jesus has already won. So, again, my first point, let this passage be a reminder for us that we're the royal priesthood. We're the new priests. And let's not turn away from who we've been called to be. Because as Paul writes in the end of that passage, not everybody does, right? Some are peddlers of God's word, as he calls it. Some use God's name for their own purposes, to lead people astray. And so that's my second point, is be on your guard for false priests. Be on your guard for false teachers. It's kind of funny because every generation thinks that they're in the end times. I don't, uh, and there, there's many reasons for that, you know, wars and famines and whatnot that have gone on in each generation's time. So every generation is like, oh, it's the end times. This is it. But I think that if there was any reason in particular for it to be so for us, it would be the fulfillment of this prophecy right here. Second Timothy 4 verse 3, which says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So they'll look for preachers and teachers that teach with partiality. Think about this. Even as we meet this morning, and we're going through the Word of God, even as we meet, there are ordained ministers and pastors speaking right now, teaching other congregations who are openly atheist. They don't believe in God or the Bible or Jesus. Now, how does it even happen? But it is happening. And in the same vein, there are renowned celebrity pastors right now out there who are preaching and teaching these fluffy messages, oozing with positivity one-liners that aren't from the Bible, and they sound more like cat posters, right? But they are, of course, attracting large crowds. People are flocking to hear these things. 
Because they tickle and, and please the ears. And they make people feel nice. Like every sermon is a grad speech from Disneyland and the Holy Spirit is the, the magic power to make all their wishes come true. This stuff is happening. And in other congregations, there are preachers who are getting rich off their pyramid schemes and they're using the pulpit and misquoted verses from the Bible to, to justify it. While other pastors are living worldly lifestyles that should actually render them unfit and unqualified for the position, but because they're great at public speaking, that's ah, all right, I guess then. Right? This stuff is happening, and people are flocking to hear and listen to these teachers because what they're saying sounds exciting and stimulating and encouraging. But the problem is, like the priest of Levi, these pastors aren't listening to God, and they aren't teaching his word. And so these so-called pastors today are not only leading many people astray, like the priest did for the nation of Israel, but they're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ, right? They're, and therefore they're misrepresenting and dishonoring his name, just like the priests of Levi were doing. And guess what? Just like the priests of Levi, they'll be held accountable for it. James 3 verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In Galatians 1 verse 9 as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. These are intense verses, right? These verses echo God's words to the priests of Levi. And the reason I'm saying this is, is not to be all hellfire and brimstone, but the reason I'm saying this is to remind us again that God still doesn't take false teachings and doesn't take false teachers lightly. So just as he cursed the priests of Levi, he will curse, that is, separate himself from them and, and separate his blessings from them, from those pastors today who misuse his name or his word or knowingly teach it erroneously, right? Obviously, there's grace for those who make mistakes, I hope, right? <laughs> no pastor is perfect, as I always display, but there's no room there's no room for those who, who, are, who are purposely and deliberately leading people astray by teaching a false gospel and not living as examples of Christ. Because as we've seen, God will not have anyone representing his name who will slander his name. And the first sub-point sub here is use discernment. Have discernment. I know I've said that before, but seriously, have discernment. The internet is, is filled with, with so many pastors and speakers and, and memes and all, the, all these quotes and everything. And, and, and a lot of us just eat it up and we don't use discernment. But please, use discernment. Not all pastors are working to honor God. So let's not like, be like those who, who blindly follow or listen to just any teacher or pastor. Test everything you hear through prayer, and especially by measuring it up to, up to Scripture. And that's not hard to do, really. All you have to do is ask if what you're hearing, ask if what you're hearing or reading lines up with Scripture, and then if it doesn't, then it's not God's Word. It's pretty simple. No matter how awesome or uplifting it sounds, test all things. Test all things. And the second sub-point here I want to make is that I want to let you know that as your pastor, I take this very seriously. I take this very seriously. And again, I'm not perfect, and I make mistakes, but my heart is to proclaim the truth of Christ. My heart is to proclaim God's word to you so that you can grow in it 
and grow in the knowledge of Christ and bring glory to him. Because I know and believe that as a pastor, I'll be held to a higher account for what I say and how I live. And so, yes, I take that very seriously. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and I'm just going to sum it up, paraphrase it, this isn't about me. This is about Christ crucified. Proclaiming his name for the glory of God. But again, test all things. Last week when I said Malachi 6 instead of Malachi 1, a whole bunch of people were like, hey, you said Malachi 6 instead of Malachi 1. And that's good because you're testing all things. (laughs) I was testing you to make sure that you were testing all things so that I could talk about you testing all things. (laughs) I wasn't. Um, But seriously, test all things. Which leads me to the, the final point I want to make this morning. This is about Jesus. Number three, Jesus. We're, we've become the royal priesthood, but Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus took the role of high priest. So the good news for us today is that we don't have to rely on imperfect priests. We don't have to rely on imperfect pastors to make atonement for our sins and to give us access to God anymore. Because through Jesus, God has made a way once for all. By sending Jesus, the great high priest, to be our mediator. Malachi 2 verse 4 says, God says to them, so, you shall, so shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. That my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. So God, in, in his loving faithfulness, he was determined to keep his covenant with Levi, even though Levi's descendants had, had just ruined it, had, had failed to keep it. But he was determined to bring life and peace to his people. And so God sent Jesus to fulfill that covenant and take on that role of high priest to be the mediator between man and God. But unlike human priests, Jesus was perfect and without sin and would hold and does hold the position as our mediator forever. And in that position, seated at the right hand of God, Jesus not only brings us life and peace, but eternal life and perfect peace as it says in Hebrews 7, 26 to 28, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So the good news is that Jesus is the perfect and better high priest and will not fail us. He will not fail us like like the priest of Levi did for the nation of Israel. In fact, he proved his faithfulness and love to us by not only giving up sacrifice for a sin, but giving himself up as the perfect sacrifice for all sin. He took our curse. He took our curse so we could have blessing. He took our enmity with God so that we could be with God. And he took it upon himself. In doing this, he permanently made a way for us to know God. But from our end, from our end, this also means that we're without excuse. Right? We're without excuse now in our mission to bring the gospel to the world and to live it out in our lives. 
through Christ. We've been given forgiveness of sins. We've been given the Holy Spirit within us as temples of the Holy Spirit. We've been given access to God. We can boldly approach his throne and through Christ. And, and we've given a, we've been given a calling to proclaim his love and truth to the world. And so, unlike the priest of Levi, let's live it. Let's live out that calling. Let's be the priesthood that we've been called to be. Through the blood of Christ, let's draw near to God in obedience. And being the priesthood isn't trying harder or doing more, but it's drawing near to God and allowing Him to work through us so that by His strength we can be obedient to Him and we can display His love and His truth to the world. So let's be an aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Just as it says in Hebrews 10, 19-25, I'm going to end with this. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way opened for us through the curtain of His body, and since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold resolutely to the hope we confess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Because we have a great high priest, because we've been forgiven of sin and given access to God, let us be the people that he's called us to be. Let us resolutely hold hope to the hope that we confess. Let us serve one another. Let us love one another. Let us spur one another on to good deeds. Let us be the priesthood that we've been called to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we, as we think about and, and, and ponder on, the, on this idea that, that priests and the high priest specifically had to con- continually make atonement and sacrifices for sin daily and then, and then once a year for, for the whole nation of Israel, Lord God. Words can't, can't thank you enough for the fact that you sent your son Jesus Christ to atone for our sin once for all and completely and finally. Lord, that through Jesus... We can, we can know you and be in relationship with you and, and have covenant with you again. Lord, and I pray that as we, as we reflect and, and, and think about Jesus' sacrifice for us, Lord, that we would draw close to you, that we would approach your throne with confidence, Lord, and that you would change our hearts, Lord. You would mold us into the priesthood that you've called us to be, Lord. That we would confidently, as we confidently draw close to your throne, Lord, we would confidently go out into the world and proclaim your gospel. Lord God, that we would live the lives that you've called us to live. That we would be lights of Christ in this world, Lord. That we would be the aroma of Christ to you in this world, Lord. And that people would be brought close to you because of it. Lord, I pray and repent for those times that we haven't lived for you, Lord, that we've given you a bad name, that we've led people astray, that we've caused people to to despise church or to 
to despise Christianity and to despise your name, Lord. But I think that as we, as we commit those things to you, Lord, and our mistakes to you, Lord, you have the ability to turn those things for good, Lord, to turn those things around, to bring redemption. Lord, and you have the ability to turn us around, to turn our lives around as you've redeemed us, Lord God, that you would transform us and make us new. You've called us into a holy calling, Lord God. And I pray that you would give us the strength, the power of your Holy Spirit in us to walk in it and to move in it, Lord God. And I pray as well as we take communion this morning, Lord, as we receive your body and your blood, Jesus. You would help us to recognize that, that, that we're committing our lives to you. That as we receive your grace, we're committing to honor your name and to glorify your name. So Lord, as, as, we, as we take communion this morning, I pray that we would take it with a humble heart, ready to receive what you have for us, Lord. Lord, we, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. We thank you that we have, we have access to you forever and ever and that you won't fail us. That you are faithful, Lord. So we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.